Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Happy to be here with you talking about our faith, our health overall, our spiritual health, our mental health, um, and of course, our physical health as well. Uh, interesting show today. You know, oh, Father, where art thou? What's going on? And by Father, we're, we're going to talk about what that means. Uh, where art thou, Father? Let's start with the Angelus first before we get into some controversial topics. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord, amen. Saint Michael the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray unto thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host. By the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you know, folks, appropriate to be praying the Angelus today. Uh, interesting topics that come up on the news uh, that I wanted to touch on anyway. But really, where is the family is what I wanted to talk about. Uh, this news article, different news articles have come up recently in the last couple of days. Uh, State of Montana has voted... Uh, they officially voted, the residents voted no on a measure to protect babies after they're born. So the idea is babies are born, you know, mom is going to go uh, have a child and, uh, or actually in this case, well, either way, really it would be. In this case, it's somebody wants to go have an abortion and baby's born in the process or the abortion gets botched and they don't know what to do um, and the baby actually comes out alive. There is a measure now saying that doctor doesn't have to do anything to preserve that life. Um, that's what it was voted. They, they said, hey, you don't have to worry about this. You know, when I saw that article, at first I was reading it the wrong way. I thought, oh, okay, they voted to, to make sure that the, the baby got medical care and that, and that it's alive now by definition is the way the world wants to define it, not by the way God wants to define it. But, you know, that's, that wasn't the case. And I was like, wow, where, where are we? in society now that we're actually voting for this. I mean, we hear about cases, we hear about cases and we'll talk about that a little bit, but we hear about cases where, yeah, we've understood people have gone that far, uh, but we have to ask ourselves, where have we gotten in society where, you know, at this point we're expendable. Um, that's a big choice to make, you know, that's a big decision to make. Uh, I didn't never even fathom that would have been a decision when I was growing up, 
Um, but that's the case uh, in today's world. That's that's the way people are wanting to vote, and it kind of weighs heavy um, overall because, well, what's happening to us? What's that say about us as a society? You know, given – it always harkens me back to – to what Sister Lucia said about the family, you know, the final battle was going to be over marriage. <clears throat> you know, the, there's no question about that. Uh, in her in her memoir, she said, uh, the final battle, the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. So that's the final battle between those two kingdoms. Don't be afraid, she added, because whoever works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought against and opposed in every way because this is the decisive issue. Then she concluded, nevertheless, Our Lady has already crushed his head. So really, the battles for us to decide, I mean, Our Lady's already crushed his head, him being referred to as the demon, the serpent, and Our Lady has already conquered that. For us, at this point, it's, it's just a matter of which door do we want to walk through. It's not even it's not even so much do we have to crush anybody's head. That's already been done. The battle now is for our souls, and do we recognize where we are at as a family? Why would the final battle be as a family? You know, it's interesting because final <clears throat> has a lot of meanings. It, it can mean last, or it can mean uh, different things. <clears throat> final could be most important, you know, the finality of it all. Excuse me one second. I'll grab a drink. <clears throat> Clear my throat there a little bit. Um it can mean a, f a few different things, but I really think more than anything else, the final is the decisive battle. Like you said, this is the decisive issue. This is the, the, the issue. Are we a family or not? That's the first sacrament God instituted between man and woman, Adam and Eve, the family. It's what defines us as Catholics. Where you know, from families is where, where the Catholic, the domestic church, as we call it, each individual family. That's where good Catholics come from. You know, if we talk about Catholic church, everybody always thinks priests. You know, oh, there's priests and whatnot in the Vatican. And, and yeah, that's the, shall we say, the business end of the church. But the life end of the church, the what's sustaining the church, is really a family. If there's no families, where are you going to have babies to make popes, to make priests, to make nuns? It doesn't make sense. Where have we gotten to in society that this would even have been considered a vote or that it would have even been considered okay? Um, <clears throat> and the question is, who's teaching our children? You know, who's teaching our children right from wrong? And at this point, it seems like it's the government. I wonder, where are the parents? And the question is, have the parents been taught? Because obviously, the vote, the voting populace is is still, you know, the electorate is still 18 and older. Who's teaching the little ones? This is what our children are seeing. And my question is, in the future generations, are we going to have a reverse in that education, in that thought process? It's going to take a while because if we're passing measures like this in Montana, what used to be considered a pretty conservative state, um, you know, it's uh, obviously not headed in that direction. So a pretty startling article. And when I was reading that, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. It's still, it's still a little bit shocking, uh, to be honest with you. Let me read you an, another article on this. I'm gonna put the, I'm gonna link these up. And this is the title of this article is the one I read yesterday. Montana. Um, let me see here. This is a different one. Oh, this is a different article, but this is a good one. It says, uh, on election day, Montana voters were given the option to affirm or deny legislative referendum 131. That's what it was called, being signed into law with nearly all the votes in as of Thursday afternoon. Uh, they called the race with 95% of the vote in. So 95% of the vote was in 52.4% of the Montana residents voted no on the referendum. And 
that is opposed to 47.6% who voted yes. Now, voting no meant that that's okay. You don't have to give treatment. Voting yes meant that, yeah, if a baby's born, then you have to give treatment. So this is what it says. If the residents had voted yes, the referendum would have enacted a law guaranteeing any infant born alive at any stage of pregnancy um, has a is a legal person and would impose criminal penalties on any healthcare worker that doesn't provide adequate medical care to these babies. The measure comes from House Bill 167, is all the politic part of it, sponsored by uh, Republican State Representative Matt Reger. Um, <clears throat> says Kaiser Health News reported that Reger intended the bill referendum to protect infants who have survived abortions from being denied medical care and being left to die. So this was a good it was a good start. The purpose of even <clears throat> putting this law in the books was to protect these babies. That's that's really where it started. <clears throat> and of course, what's the response? Well, it's you know, when you look at these numbers where you say that 50 52.4% voted for and 47.6% voted um, you know, in favor of saving the babies. Well, you're going to get backlash, right? You're going to get people on either side of the aisle having opinions. Well, this is what pro-life Twitter users were outraged that Montana voted to deny the referendum, accusing the state's residents of voting to, quote unquote, to let babies die. So this is what one user said. It said Montana voted to let babies die. Let that sink in. All this would have done is force doctors to give care to a living human baby, including if they're born alive after an abortion. What a dark, horrific day. That's what the Twitter Bobby, Robbie Starbuck wrote. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting there. If you look at the vote count of how many people voted for this, this is where I wonder where, where are we at in society? What are we thinking? What are we teaching our children? Actually, you know, we've got to teach our children young, but any of us who have older children, I wonder if we've even had the conversation or nowadays if you can even have the conversation without it turning into a family argument. You know, this is definitely not a conversation for the for the Thanksgiving table to be had, although, you know, as Catholics, this would be our conversation. This We, we would have to, you know, ask ourselves, we're getting together to give thanks. Where are we in our faith? What are we giving thanks for? And are we ready for what appears to be coming, you know? Um, this is the numbers of, of who voted. So I gave you the percentages earlier, the vote count. So people who said, no, you don't have to give care to a child who was born, uh, 231,345. The people who said, yes, let's give care to a child is 208,699. So roughly we are looking at about, oh, a 30, uh, 36,000 vote difference of 36,000 people uh were more in favor of it so that's that's a good chunk of people even one person is, is a good chunk of people heck if the people who voted for the babies not be alive was 231 345 that's 231 345 votes too many on that side well let's see here a defense attorney and conservative commentator marina medvin, medvin tweeted Police are required to give medical care to homicidal maniacs who shoot at them. Society demands that convinced, convicted serial killers be given medical care and food in prison. But Montana says that innocent babies should not be given milk or medical care. This doesn't compute. Pro-life user Eudaimonia tweeted, Colorado moved to legalize shrooms and Montana says that babies born prematurely aren't legal persons. But tell me more about the slippery slope fallacy. So, you know, what she's talking about there is the slippery slope is, hey, if we legalize uh, uh, mushrooms. What else are we going to legalize? There's a slippery slope. 
All right, welcome back to Freedom Most Powerful Radio. We are talking about the abortion debate from a different perspective. We're talking about it from the voting perspective and the decisions people make, uh, decisions people, decisions we make uh, when we go to the voting booth. And this is interesting. You know, we're talking about this uh, measure that passed, the, the voting passed in Montana for a doctor to not be criminalized or to not have to give care to a child who is born alive uh, during an abortion. You know, interesting article, uh, but really more interesting. What does that say about our our society? We're going to get into the psychology of this a little bit. Um, but where are we? What, what is a newborn child at this point? How do we define humanity at this point? If a child is born, you know, the abortion debate before was, well, it's not a person. You know, this is all semantics. We know it's a person as soon as as soon as the child is conceived. There's no question about that. Um, it's not like, you know, if, if a woman takes a pregnancy test and says, I'm pregnant, you know, we're in a day and age where you before it was oh i better go to the doctor and and see what how i can best take care of this i you, you know what you, that means as soon as you say i'm pregnant you know there's a human being in there you know that there's a person in there you know you formed a new life in there but now we're in a society where we have to go to the doctor not to say how do i take care of this baby but to help convince us that it's really not a human being or not a person and that's that's pretty challenging there <clears throat> You know, this is a March for Life tweeted from this article because of this vote. Uh, abortion has wounded our nation so deeply that we are refusing to ensure proper medical care for newborn infants. Um, actor and conservative James Woods wrote, for a state to vote against compassionate care for an infant born alive is unimaginable, unimaginable, expected maybe from the usual moral hell holes, this is what he wrote, like New York and California, of course, but Montana, the left's war on the unborn is legendary. Grooming now sadly part of their jihad, out, but outnumbered, right? Um, so it's interesting that, that he wrote that. Uh, Abby Johnson, you know, we know Abby Johnson from her, uh, her, she's the one who gave us the movie Unplanned, you know, exposed Planned Parenthood for a lot of different things. And she says, I'm horrified that even one person would vote in Montana to deny babies health care after they've already been born. They're basically saying they want the babies left out to die. We need Jesus to save our nation desperately. So they're basically saying that's, that is what they're saying. Not just basically, they're saying, well, let the babies out to die. Um, you know, this is pretty sad. Daily Wire senior editor Cabot Phillips remarked, Montana has voted to let babies die on operating tables if they survive an abortion attempt. We deserve the judgment we will face for our wickedness. You know, it's interesting um, that we're outraged by this, but really as Catholics, gosh, you know, how's this any different than abortion? You know, letting the baby die. It's, uh, we're outraged because we're saying, hey, now, now they're born. But really we gotta give ourselves a better definition of what it means to be born. And the reality is, yeah, we celebrate our birthdays as the day that we came out into the world from our mother's womb, but we were already born. We were just in a different environment. It's like saying, well, as long as you're in this room, you're not a human being. And all of a sudden as you walk out of this room, now you're a human being. Well, guess what? We kind of already have that mentality in society sometimes because I like this part of the article is what I was thinking. 
And now let me read this one quote again. It says, police are required to give medical care to homicidal maniacs who shoot at them. Society demands that convicted serial killers be given medical care and food in prison. But Montana says that innocent babies should not be given milk or medical care. This doesn't compute. You know, it's interesting because we already kind of have that mentality as human beings. When somebody goes to jail or is going through the legal system, we dehumanize them in many ways. And you think about it, you think of prisoners. I mean, I know that we see it in the movies, but in real life, when I'm working with prisoners, a lot of times they get dehumanized. They get treated like animals. And we say, hey, as long as you are in these rooms, as long as you're in this complex, um, and you're a serial killer, your rights are taken away, you're, you're, you're not exactly human anymore, you're dehumanized. Well, guess what? That's kind of what we say to babies, right? Before it was, hey, as long as you're in the room of the womb inside of your mom, well, we can't decide that you're a human being or not. We're not sure if you're a person or not. We're not sure that you really deserve the rights that everybody outside of the womb deserves. But now we've taken it a further step. Now it's telling the prisoner, hey, you're out of jail. Nah, you're still, we haven't decided if we're going to give you the electric chair or not. You know, the baby's born here and we've made a judgment. You know, there's an execution that can happen. Um, and we could say that it's active or passive. You know, the, I don't, I didn't read the details of the law um, as far as if it's active or passive, meaning that does the doctor just not have to give care and just let the baby, you know, wait it out? Uh, until the the baby dies, or can the doctor actually, you know, go in there and actually start to, you know, end the baby's life to kill the baby, snap its neck or something? We know that there was that Dr. Kermit back in Pennsylvania uh, who did that. Uh, he was on trial for that. I wonder if a law like this passes, if he's going to do an appeal or something and say, hey, you know, it's all legal now. Why not? It takes me back. All this makes me think: Where is the family? Where are we in our society that our family? Is breaking down to this point because there was a there was a man who took care of that at one point and there was a woman who took care of that at one point and what i mean by that is there was a man and a woman who contributed to making this life any way you you look at it there's no question about it you can't deny this it's just the way we're made it's nature in order for this baby to have been born a man and a woman had to have been involved anyway you anyway you slice that coin um, so it's interesting, where are the parents now? Where where are we in society that all of a sudden this human life is no longer valued? I think we've really gotten down to a society of convenience, and I see that a lot. I see that a lot of my patients that, that come see me and they say, hey, you know, I don't feel good right now. I need a quick fix-it, you know, and in our modern-day society, we need a quick fix-it. A baby is a problem because it changes our lives. It changes the way that we see the world sometimes. It changes what we can do. Sometimes you got to put everything on hold. You've got to put everything on stop to have to take care of this child because the child does need care 24-7, right? And it now it, be, it used to be something beautiful. Wow, you brought a new life into the world. This law right now makes us feel like eh, children are an inconvenience. In fact, we as human beings are an inconvenience because I've got to take care of me and I got to take care of my needs. Why weren't we ready to have this child? How did this child come about? Of course, there are always going to be the debate. Well, there's rape, there's incest, there's all these things that should have never happened. I'd like to see the percentages of that. And I'd like to see, honestly, how many women go to an abortion clinic because there was rape or incest. If you look at the numbers of abortion, you got to ask yourself, wow, is there 300,000 rapes and incest happening every year here? Uh, is there a million cases of rape or incest how come these haven't been reported because that's a whole lot of abortions for rape and incest i would dare say the majority of them are not because of that i would dare say the majority of them are done for different reasons i'm not judging why a woman would have to do that i'm asking the question and i'm saying hey i'm sure that there was an element of fear 
uh, for some of them. Others of them might have just said, no, literally, it was just for convenience. Um, but it's interesting because we look at the history of the church and we look at the family and we look at the different movements between men and women and the feminist movement and anger and uh, towards men and anger towards women and all this stuff and what's going on. And if you look at church historians, they will tell you, you know, the breakdown really started when it came when with the advent of birth control. That's really when we started seeing the breakdown of the family because Fulton Sheen used to say, gosh, with the advent of birth control, you know, we have no births and we have no control. And that's the truth, really, at, at, at the end of the day, because all this law is telling me is that, hey, a lot of people say, well, we were using birth control and we got pregnant anyway. Well, we need to have a fail safe, right? Our fail safe is I'm not going to have this baby one way or another. I got to make sure that this doesn't happen. What if I couldn't get to the abortion clinic uh, in time? What if I was worried about this? Baby's born, it's a viable human life. What am I going to do? I need ultimate birth control. And that's really what this is. You know, it's, it's ultimate birth control. Why? Because we need to have our passions fixed. That's that's all it is. We need to have our fix in society. We live in a society that's, there's there's a big dichotomy on the one hand where we all want to be respected. We all want to be told that we're, we're good people. We all want to be treated like good people. But the problem comes in um, at the same time. You know, I have to guard my children from what they're watching on TV. I have to guard my children from what they can possibly see on the internet. I have to guard my children from advertisements. I have to ask them what's going on at school and what conversations are being had because some of their classmates know way too much or have been taught things in a way that is not Catholic-based, even though they go to a Catholic school. These things happen. We've got to be aware of what's happening in society. We can't be naive and think, ah, you know, everything's going to be okay. No, we've got to get back to the basics. And what I mean by that is how many of us are sitting down with our family members you know, with our children, with our with our wives, with our husbands, sitting down as a family and saying, who are we as Catholics? Let's go back and read the catechism of the church. Let's read a few biblical uh, uh, lines from the uh, a few scriptural lines, right? Get our Bibles out, take the dust off those Bibles and say, these are some important passages in the Bible that we need to think about because these speak to our soul. Do we remember that? Do we remember our soul? Because when we go to vote, a lot of times we've politicized our religion, uh, and a lot of people have made their religion, their politics, you know, so that's really where we get into that danger of if I've crossed that line between my religion and my politics, at this point, where's the soul? What does it really matter? Is it more what I'm voting for? That's my religion. That's what makes me feel good. I voted for the right thing, what I thought was right. So I feel really good. And I go to the church of the voting poll and every morning I read my my politics page and, you know, I look at what entities in the government are fighting who and who, where the money's going. You know, that's important stuff to know. I mean, definitely it's going to affect our society, but are we voting with our political mind or are we voting with our religious conscience? Who are we as Catholics? That's really what this is defining. You know, we, the sad part in today's day and age is we see a lot of politicians who are cafeteria Catholics, as we say, you know, they might've been baptized Catholics, but they would say, wow, this is a great measure. I think that this was wonderful because you know, this this was a big step forward for women's rights and women's health care. Well, it's not even about women's health care anymore. In this case, the baby's already born. It's outside of the woman's body. It's not even women's health care at this point. Now you have a, a new child in the world. Interesting thing about that is the language we use as well. So think about this when you're talking to your families and you're trying to have this debate um, on you know abortion and is it right or wrong or or what is it a human being or not a human being i can tell you as a medical doctor 
whenever a woman came into the clinic and she had uh, visits for prenatal visits, uh, prenatal meaning that she found out she was pregnant and she comes to the clinic and says, hey, doc, I found out I'm pregnant. Um, what do I do now? And so we have a whole list of things that we need to do, depending on what week of pregnancy she's in. You know, you got to get your ultrasounds in. You got to get certain blood tests. Uh, but we always let the mom know there's certain foods you should eat, certain foods you shouldn't eat and whatnot. Why? Because now we're taking care of two patients. That's what we always said. Hey, as soon as that mom walks in, you got two patients. Well, if I'm a doctor, I'm an MD, medical doctor for human beings. I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not, uh, you know, a plant doctor. I'm not a tree doctor. I'm not a, uh, you know, I, I don't treat anything else. I only treat human beings. And the mom walks into that room and now I'm treating two patients. By default, as soon as that child was conceived, now it's a human being. I'm treating another human being. There's no question about that. In the medical community, we have, we, we can't deny that, you know, where's that fine line? Where do we say, oh, it's a human being versus, mm, I don't know if it's a human being. Really the bottom line of that, where do we make that distinction? Why is that distinction even there? Because at the end of the day, we give the mom a whole lot of power when we say, you get to decide whether you want this baby or not. And if you don't want this baby, we're not gonna use certain language. But if you want the baby, then absolutely we're gonna use this language. It's still a human being, whether I like it or not, I've got two patients to treat. Well, more on this topic after the break. Right, folks welcome back let's read a little something here from the bible these are the verses we should be sitting down and talking to our families about but before we do that let's go ahead and pray hail mary in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen listen to this line from the bible this is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. You know, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a really moving passage at that point in the Bible. Let's read that one more time. Again, this is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. You know, that's powerful. And that's something that we need to talk to our children about. I think one of the things that's important to consider in this point is we got to remember our story. We got to remember where we come from, what's important in our lives and what's going on um, from a faith-based perspective, because that's really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, we're all going to move on from life. And we're going to have certain responsibilities and certain things that we're going to have to own up to before the throne of God, you know, regardless of how uh, academic we were, regardless of how uh, how much intellectual prowess we had, regardless of how much we could philosophize about life. You know, it's easy to philosophize our God out of your, our uh, out of our lives if we want to, you know, and we can think any way we want. It doesn't mean that we're thinking correctly, but this is what it comes down to. You know, when I read this line and I think about Gosh, <clears throat> you know, can a mother forget her child? That's that's an interesting one because it makes me think of Our Lady. And every day we start this program here at the noon hour and we start with the Angelus. And what's so powerful about that? I mean, when we look at society today, 
we have this, at least here in, in the United States, in our, in our society, we have this part of our lives where we're in limbo, where we're neither, neither children nor adults. We prolong this adolescence and we, you know, tell our children as they're growing up, no, nah, you don't have any responsibilities. Don't worry about it. This is a, a time that you need to enjoy life enjoy who you are enjoy being young you know it, it only happens once it goes by so fast and i don't know anywhere in the bible that it talks about being young and in fact it talks about the youth as being folly you know uh, when i was a child i thought like a child but now that i'm a man i think like a man and that's really what it comes down to where is our sense of responsibility that's what that's really what adulthood really means we get into a being adults or having an adult mentality more than anything else being mature and at the end of the day, what that really means is now we have responsibility. Now we have a mission from God that he's giving us that we need to look into. And how many times do we talk to our children, our family members and say, hey, you're getting older now. Have you been praying about what your mission is? Have you been asking God what he wants for you in your life? Because now all of a sudden we got to put on that armor for battle. Have we taught our children what our story is, what our mission is, what our battle is? It makes me think of the Angelus all the time. Imagine Our Lady. In fact, just go out and look at any junior high nowadays, or I guess early high school, um, and look at what a 15-year-old looks like. You know, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. Um, and we say kids, you know, back when I was in grade school, I would look at them. And I mean, if I was in first or second grade, I thought, man, those are big people. And then all of a sudden you get to that age, you get to that age in junior high and high school, and you realize... We're just a bunch of goofy kids. We're still in our youth. But you know why we're so goofy at that age? Because nobody gives us that sense of direction. Everybody says, hey, stay young. Just play sports and study. Don't think about anything other than just go to school, do your homework, turn it in. But the reality is nature is happening. Life is happening. How many of us are getting that direction? How many of us are giving that direction uh, to our children about, hey, your body's changing. Yeah, you're going to study your math. You're going to study your English. You're going to study your sciences. And I want you to get good grades in that because I want you to learn. And I want you to play sports. It's good. You know, it's good to have that level of entertainment and distraction. It's very healthy. Playing sports is wonderful. Doing all that stuff is great. But we can't stunt the reality that we are maturing and that we have a mission. Why does this make me think of the Angelus? Because I look at these, you know, kids nowadays in those ages. I look at my kids and I think, Boy, are they ready if God all of a sudden gives us the mission when we're 15 and says, hey, um, are you ready to have a kid? I need you to have my son. And it's going to be challenging. And people aren't going to believe necessarily that um, it's your child. And, you know, it's prophesied. Everybody knows that it's supposed to come from a virgin. Um, but nobody's going to really believe that because that's the way human beings are. They're not going to take the time to say, hey, maybe this could be the Christ child. In fact, because the, our minds as humans are are really broken uh, ever since the fall, we don't see things the way God sees it. We see it the way humans see it. And Our Lady said, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. You know, are you willing to have a child? Are you going to name him Jesus and he's going to be the savior of the world? That's a pretty big mission. I don't know. I don't know anybody who's ready to take that on. But Our Lady said, yes. And she said, I'll take that on. Do our children today have that maturity? And have we instilled that in them? I can't blame the children necessarily. The question is, have we instilled it in them? I mean, young men nowadays, and the reason I talk about men, we can look at this and say, well, a lady could have easily had an abortion back then. It might have gotten really tough. And how do you tell your betrothed husband, hey, guess what? I'm I'm still a virgin. You know, I know that we're going to get married, uh, but I do. I'm going to have a baby and it's the Christ child. How do you say that to, to a man and, and hope that he stay, sticks around? That's got to be pretty challenging. 
Luckily, God knows who he picks, and he picks St. Joseph. And St. Joseph probably knew he had a mission from God. He believed that he had a mission from God. One, because the Bible tells us he was a just man. He wasn't going to betray Our Lady. But two, he trusted in those dreams when the angels would come to him. He really had faith in God in order to do it. It wasn't like it happened overnight. It wasn't like all of a sudden he had one dream. He's like, oh, okay, well, since I have this dream now. No, we're not always ready to accept the word of God because we haven't trained for it. Have we trained our youth? Apparently not. Because at this point, we just want to be able to say, hey, you know what? The baby's born. I don't know that I want it or not. Let's call it an abortion. Let's just let the baby go. Uh, I don't. It's too much responsibility. Have we trained our youth to be responsible? Have we told our young ladies, hey, your body's changing. There's a responsibility that comes with that. Part of it is, again, we go back to birth control came about. We don't have to have that responsibility. The responsibility used to be you're going to have a baby. Now it's, well, there's birth control, and now it's the extreme of, well, that doesn't work. Okay, well, maybe we'll let the baby die on the table, even if you try to have an abortion. Um, and who knows, you know, the law is going to be, this is a real slippery slope. The law is interpreted any way that we want to interpret it. Uh, we could say at this point, well, the law says that if the abortion, you know, baby's born and they're viable because the abortion went wrong, I don't have to treat that baby. I can let it die. What's the difference between an abortion and a full birth at this point, you know, the, the only difference is the intent, you know, and that intent can change any time. What's women might just say, well, you know what? I don't want to go in and have a full abortion because, you know, that can be pretty rough. Why don't I just have the baby and then you guys decide if it lives or not lives or, you know, that's the real slippery slope right there. Are we teaching responsibility to our children based on what God has taught us? based on what we have learned from the church. That's really the question of the day. Our lady, how strong must she have been? I mean, go out and look at a 15-year-old, you know, guy or girl. And St. Joseph, I'm sure, was not, you know, sometimes they paint him as this old man. He was not an old man. He had to have had a lot of fortitude to say, okay, I'm going to take on this family. And I, I truly believe that this is a mission from God, which means that I probably can't tell too many people about what's happening. I have to keep this under wraps because... I have to pre preserve the dignity of Mary and I truly have faith in God and nobody's probably going to believe my dreams and they're going to say, what are you doing? You're a fool. She tricked you. Come on. A virgin birth. Well, that's the reality. Who's ready to take that on? The question of the day then turning back to us is, are we ready to take on that mission from God? You know, have we prayed for our mission? Have we prayed and asked, what is this mission that God has for me? Every life is valuable. Every every life that's conceived, God has already put in a soul and a mission. Sometimes we think we're the authors of our own lives or that we're the author of life. God has only made us co-creators, meaning that, yeah, biologically, we provide the biology to create life. But if you think about it, we can do all this and we can try to create life and we can try to manipulate our genes and all these things. But we don't know how to create a soul. We don't know how to manipulate a soul. We don't know how to change a soul. We don't know how to, we don't, we're not responsible for any of that. Why? Because we feel that we're not responsible because we can't do it. But at the same time, is it there? Is it there or not? And that's going to be debated, of course, because now if you're going to have this level of debate, my question is, what's the difference, you know, from a medical point of view, inside the womb, outside the womb, again, inside the womb, I'm taking care of another human being. And if I'm a medical doctor taking care of people, and I have to check on that baby and I got to check that there's a heartbeat and I got to check that, you know, there's the size that they're growing appropriately. And I check the ultrasound and I make sure there's enough fluid around them. I'm not taking care of some kind of alien. 
or some kind of animal or something that's not human. It's not, I'm not allowed to do that. I don't have a license to do that. I only have a license to take care of human beings, of people. And for me to say that that's not a person, well, it doesn't, really doesn't jive then. I really don't have to take care of them. This is where the idea of personhood is very, very important and very uh, important from a philosophical, from a legal point of view, because it's going to have consequences, sadly. We can't just look at the obvious nowadays in society, uh, as we know with many different topics, many different ideas that come out. And we're being told, you know, the emperor's new clothes are beautiful. And the reality is maybe there aren't any clothes there. So let's read something else because this is important for us as families this is what it comes down to whenever i hear about abortions or you know any laws that are being passed with the idea of abortion uh, or especially this law which is so extreme where hey baby's born and we can just let it go it brings me back to the family you know we the abortion debate is easy a lot of people and what i mean by easy is pretty straightforward there's no debate really there's two two sides of the aisle one side of the aisle is saying hey as a baby you're killing a baby another side of the aisle is not necessarily even negating that there's a baby anymore. They're saying it's a woman's right to end the baby's life. But this is where I say, oh, Father, where art thou? Why am I talking to fathers when it comes to abortion? Because we forget that. If you notice the abortion debate, they say, men, you do not have a say in this whatsoever. Uh, the woman has 100% control. Well, what I would, what would I teach my son? Well, let's look at this. This is an interesting one because I've talked to my son about this. This is from Proverbs. This has been my favorite book of the Bible in the last few weeks, in case you haven't noticed. Proverbs chapter 4. Um, a father's advice, and that's how it starts, and says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. For if I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me, and he said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. So one of the things is when I read this article or when I read these, these passages from the Bible, you know, we got a few seconds here, but more after the break uh, on this article, on this, uh, <laughs> on this scripture. Oh, Father, where art thou? Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Before the break, I was reading this passage from Proverbs chapter 4. Let me read it again one more time um, because I think this is key. This is, uh, we got to talk to the dads on this. We got, you know, as guys, we have to ask ourselves, where is our responsibility? Because if we fathered a child, we will have to answer for that um, before the throne of God one day. And right now, it seems too easy in this world. You know, I'm sure I've done things out of convenience in this world where I don't think, well, I'm going to eventually, um, you know, be before the throne of God. But when it comes to a topic like abortion, we're so blinded nowadays um, to even consider that this is a human being. What defines a human being? The problem is that we're trying to define it. But the reality is God already defined it for us. There's nothing for us to define. It's already it's already in front of us. We are human beings. We're human beings from the moment of conception. I tell you that as a medical doctor. You know, as soon as, like I said, as soon as a, a baby's conceived and the mom comes in and says, I'm pregnant, I don't know any doctor that thinks, well, I don't know what you're pregnant with or, well, why are you calling me about that? Or, yeah, okay, let me, okay, what should we do? No. We, I mean, woman, you've been having babies even before doctors was even a profession, before there was a medical profession. We all know that. It's the most basic part of human life. It's the most basic part of a relationship. I'm pregnant. Okay, we know what's we know what's there. We know that, that you have a human being, a person in your womb. There's no question about that. That's the only thing doctors are going to treat. You know, we don't treat anything else. But let's listen to this passage again. 
chapter four of father's advice. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you, meaning wisdom and insight. You know, I glean a few things from this scriptural passage. Uh, one, whenever I read that, it makes me think about my father and think, oh, man, did I listen to the advice of my dad? Did I, was I there and attentive when he was talking to me about important things? You know, I can't say that, you know, as fathers, we sit down every day and say, all right, we're going to have deep conversations every, you know, every minute of the day. That's not necessarily realistic or practical, but, you know, there are moments that we think about when it's like, oh, yeah, I remember my dad told me this, or I remember my dad told me that. So that's the first thing I think about. But the second thing I think about is I have a big responsibility because if, if this passage is true, this applies to me telling me that I need to give instruction to my children. I need to make sure that I'm giving them. And what kind of instruction am I giving them? What have I learned? You can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know. Have I filled myself with enough knowledge that I can sit down with a child and tell them, look, this is what's right from wrong, and I need to teach you these particulars? You know, obviously, that's the main message of this passage. But a stronger message in this passage, which people might not pick up on, is this part. It says in verse 3, when I was a son with my father, tender, meaning very young, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me. So let's back up right there. The only one in the sight of my mother. What does that mean in light of today's world and in light of this uh, recent voting um, where we allow, uh, you know, born, where we allow our children to die at this point, not even, you know, in the womb where it's like we say, oh, it's kind of a hidden child. We we kind of turn our eyes away from that a little bit. Obviously, there's always that fight for uh, pro-life that we end abortion. Um, but now it's even, you know, the child's born and we say, hey, child can die. So one of the things that I read here is the only one in the sight of my mother. Eh, you could, People argue, well, what does it mean only one, not only one? Maybe you're an only child at that point. Okay, whether you're an only child or not, you can read that in different ways. You could say, well, you know, my mom loved me so much, or at that point, my mom had her whole sight on me. What I focus on is, let's go even further, let's go a little bit more microscopic, in the sight of my mother. Am I still in the sight of my mother? You know, at this point, it, it's sad. This law makes me think of, it gives me an idea. I mean, I've been there when I, when babies have been delivered. I've helped mom deliver his baby. I never say I delivered the baby. You know, obviously, it's the mom delivering the baby. I would just assist uh, or assisted back when I was uh, uh, practicing family medicine, you know, I was there, delivered the baby. It's a beautiful experience, you know. Uh, you see a baby come into the new world, and there's something mystical about it. There's something powerful about it. And the first thing that happens is, as the doctor there, I'm one of the first ones to see the baby. You know, the mom can't see the baby yet. I see the baby. We clean him up. We hand him off to the nurse, whatever it is. Let's clean him up. And what, you know, is we're taking care of the mom. We're taking care of the baby. Because remember, there's two patients the whole time. All of a sudden, what happens? The mom's like, where is my child? I want to see this baby. And interestingly enough, the, the mom already knows the baby in so many ways that we don't. You've been carrying this baby around for nine months in your womb. 
you already know that this baby has a personality. You know, you already know that this baby when they move around, when they're sleeping, when they're active, when they're hungry. I see moms talking to their babies in their womb all the time and saying, yeah, I know, I know. There's this mystical connection that's happening. There's a biological connection, but a supernatural mystical connection. Are we not supernatural creatures as well? That's really what it comes down to. Because we have to ask ourselves these questions. At the end of the day, are there consequences <clears throat> to us saying, yeah, I'm going to end this life? Is there a consequence to that or not? Is there a supernatural consequence to our actions on this planet? Is there something that we have to uh, atone for if this is done? Is there something that we're going to have to answer for? I'm telling you, there is a connection between mom and baby. No questions asked. Mom wants to see the baby, and she says, there you are. And the mom instantly falls in love with the baby once she physically sees the child. There's no question about it. You put it on the mom's chest. You know, there was a case I still remember where the mom uh, had – opted for adoption so she knew she was going to have the baby she opted for adoption and as soon as she had the baby she wanted to hold the baby and everybody's like well what do we do because this baby's supposed to leave the room they actually don't even want the moms to see the baby if they say yeah i'm gonna get the baby for adoption they say well it's better if she doesn't see the baby why well if we're just you know flesh and blood we're animalistic it's not a real human being it's not a person we can just let it die on the table why wouldn't you want the mom to even look at the baby because we know as soon as that mom sees that baby there is a mystical connection this baby is her child regardless of what the legal papers say this is her child and we say don't let her see the baby we don't want her to connect because if she sees that baby and she makes that connection boy that that adoption is going to get ugly she's going to fight for the right to have her baby even if she signed it this is her child we know that nature is much more powerful than the law we know that that's just a fact of life but there's something about a mom seeing that baby she already knows that baby in this case if this law passes they're probably going to say hey don't even look at the baby we don't want her to do that we can't have her live with that with, with the uh reality of her concept the consequences here if we let this baby die that's a challenging position to be in you know why because we're admitting a lot of things to ourselves we're admitting that yeah this is a human being yeah this is going to be connected yeah this means something at this point let's not pretend like it doesn't this law really makes it seem like it doesn't mean anything but Am I in the gaze of my mom's eyes? I want to read that one more time because then I want to compare it to um, one of our prayers. The only one on the side of my mother. It makes me think of the Salve Regina. When we pray the Salve Regina, let's look at the Salve Regina really quickly. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life. Our, in fact, let's just pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor man is children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who by the cooperation of the Holy Spirit did us prepare the body and soul of the glorious Virgin Mother Mary to become a dwelling place, meet a dwelling place made for thy son, grant that as we rejoice in her commemoration, so by the fervent intercession, we may be delivered from present evils and from the everlasting death. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it's interesting. A few things. God prepares the womb of every woman for life. There's no question about that. Whether you're fertile or not fertile, that womb represents life. That's all it is. It's, it's really, it's the opposite of a tomb. It represents life. The potential for life is there. That's all that there is to it. But what I glean from this, from this prayer, from the Salve Regina, 
Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. We want our mom to have her eyes on us. We want our spiritual mother to have her eyes on us. And we want our mother here on earth to have her eyes on us. Because as soon as our mothers turn their eyes away from us, what does that mean? And that's the sadness of all this. This is where I say, let's keep our eyes on the family. Let's all turn our eyes to our family. Husbands, you know, as the head of the family, you know, it does not mean that we are the owners of the family or we have full control of the family. It means that we're the head of the family. And what God's going to ask us is, I gave you a family. You're responsible for everybody's well-being. How did you do that? Did you give good advice? Did you tell, did you recognize that each person was a special human being, that each of them had a mission for me? And did you advise your wife in a way to make sure to preserve life? Because that's really what happened. If we look at Adam and Eve, why did God make Adam first? He said, keep the garden. And then he made Eve. Keep the garden means guard everything here. He made Eve and she was the one who could bear life. And God said, you need to protect her. That's really what it comes down to. Why did God make Adam stronger and bigger? Why does he make men just naturally stronger than women? It's not to lord over them or to hurt them or to do anything along those lines. It's really to protect life. It's really to say, hey, there might be some things that are going to come and try to attack your family. you got to be there to protect it. Let's pretend for a moment that all electricity goes out and there's no electricity whatsoever. And all of a sudden, we got to go hunt for food. I don't think there's going to be a big line of, of the moms hunting for food. I think we're going to go back to the basics and say, all right, guys, we got to go do this. Moms, take care of the kids. What do we see in the movies? You know, there's a disaster. Women and children first. Why? Because that's how we are naturally built. We want to protect life. We have that instinct. we got to protect the women and the children because they are our future generations. If we move our sight from that future generation, what's that say of us? I'm going to pray every time that and ask Our Lady to keep her eyes on us, her eyes of mercy. You know, if you ever listen to talks from Father Chad Ripperger, he talks about how the eyes of Our Lady can drive away the demons, how just a gaze from Our Lady can drive away the demons. And in fact, if anybody knows the story of uh, Lourdes, the Bernadette, there was a moment where Our Lady appeared to her and there were some demons growling in the background. All Our Lady did was just turn. She just gazed. And with her gaze, it said that those demons went away. Why? Because the gaze of Our Lady is so powerful that it exudes nothing but grace. If she's going to be the one who delivers all the graces in the world, you know, that's the mission that God gave her. Let's ask Our Mother to put her gaze on our country, to put her gaze on us, to put her gaze over all these abortion clinics or any of these situations where we think life is going to be at stake so she can remind us of what's important so she can bring that mercy of God towards us so she can be that vehicle for us to lead us to Christ. You know, this is an important topic, folks, and I think we need to pray more. I think we need to fast more. I think we need to keep the family involved more. And more than anything else, I'd say fathers out there, future fathers, let's teach our children. Let's teach our future fathers and let's be Catholic fathers. If we already have children, sit down, teach our families, remind us of what the catechism says, what the truth of our faith is, and remind ourselves that we do have a mission to preserve life, to protect life, because we are co-creators of life. While we can't create the soul, we create it biologically. We will be asked, hey, what did you do with that soul that I entrusted you with? God is going to say to us, I gave you a family. What did you do with that family? Let's preserve life. And until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, let's keep it Catholic.